Song Stories, the podcast that does such a good job at getting our guests to reveal themselves via the power of music and song memories that we were invited to do it live in front of a studio audience in this at the super awesome Sanibel Island Writers Conference. That means you all with three renowned poets. That means you three. Thanks for being here. I'm Mike Canary. This is Richard Chin This Richard is uh, uh, Tara Calligan and Anna Bejarano. So uh, we've never done this before, but let's introduce our guests. Uh, Major Jackson, January Gill O'Neill, and Anne Marie, whose last name I still don't know how to pronounce, so we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, Major Jackson was born and raised in Philadelphia. He's author of four books of poetry, including Roll Deep, Holding Company, Hoops, and Leaving Saturn, which won the Cave Canham Poetry Prize for first book of poems. He lives in South Burlington, Vermont, where he's the Richard Dennis Green and Gold University Distinguished Professor at the University of Vermont. Major, thanks for being here. My pleasure. This is so interesting to do this live. <laughs> January Gill O'Neill was born in Norfolk, Virginia. She's author of Misery Islands, winner of a 2015 Patterson Award for Literary Excellence, and Underlife. She lives in Beverly, Massachusetts with her two kids who are back home at the hotel alone for the first time. January, welcome to the, uh, uh, the show. Thank you very much. Hi, January. Okay, and Marie, say your last name. Ni Horan. It's not nearly as hard as the pronouncer you sent me. Don't worry, sense. there's plenty of people in Ireland who can't pronounce it either, so you're not alone. Good. Well, I have, my last name is Canary, and nobody's ever gotten that right for the first time. Uh, Anne-Marie, whose last name is Nihuran, yes, is a poet and writer from Donegal, Ireland. That's correct. Close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her debut collection, Bloodroot, was shortlisted for the Shine Strong Award for Best First Collection in Ireland and for the 2018 Julie Souk Award in the U.S., she lives in, where do you live? It didn't say. I live in Dublin. She lives in Dublin. Uh, Anne-Marie, thank you for being here. Okay, now, now we get to the easy part where we just start talking. Uh, Major, what was the musical background of your childhood? The musical background of my childhood was my grandmother who um, raised me, she and my grandfather, and um, she was into gospel, and gospel was on... Just every when I woke up, gospel music was on. When I went to sleep, it was on. Um, my parents, however, soul, funk, R and B, eighties, um, smooth R and B, eighties. We should say. And this was in Philly. This was in Philly, and um, but then, of course, um, I discovered hip hop music. Actually, it wasn't even discovery. I'm gonna be honest. One day, on that same channel that my grandmother listened to, WHAT, there was three stations we listened to, uh, WHAT, WKYW, which gave us the news and the weather, um, and Power 99. But WHAT, AM radio station, I literally tell this story. It was raining, harsh raining, and a song came on to the hip Hop to the hip, to the hip, to the hip, hip, hop, you don't stop. It was like hearing an alien. I was like, what? I walked outside, no lie, a rainbow was in the sky. It's true. The dawning of a new 
a new moment, cultural moment. Can you uh, recall an early musical memory besides like your grandmother playing your, that music or, or whatnot? Yeah, my um, mother was very much into Stevie Wonder and her um, favorite albums were Songs in the Key of Life and Hotter Than July. And those particular albums were on heavy rotation in her first her VW Bug and then her VW Rabbit um, and Everywhere we drove, there was Stevie Wonder's voice. It was that was wonderful. Yeah, be a good VW commercial. <laughs> um, January, what about you? Uh, earliest musical memory you can recall? Um, I, for me, uh, going to my grandmother's house, where for some reason my father had records, and uh, I remember seeing a Miriam Makiba album, mm-hmm. and so Pata Pata, I remember, but. Um, you know, I remember like the difference between AM and FM radio, right? So just driving in my dad's car and, you know, hearing almost everything from David Bowie's fame to um, the stylistics to, you know, a lot of Motown, a lot of, you know, Smokey Robinson and, um, you know, Marvin Gaye, music protest, you know, that mid 70s, mm-hmm. you know, war. Uh, and then blending into disco and then into early hip hop. You know, uh, you talked, you brought up the whole like, uh, you know, FM versus AM radio thing, which isn't really so prevalent anymore. Yeah. But in your, the poet in you characterized that difference at that time. You know, that scratchy, grainy sound, and you sort of had to take your radio and hold it in the right spot and work with the antenna. And then FM just sounded richer and, and fuller and uh, just. Uh, you know, it felt like the future. That was the, that's the poet in her. Um, uh, what, what was the musical background of your childhood then, like around the house? You know, around the house, my parents worked uh, opposite shifts. My dad was, uh, uh, so born in Norfolk, Virginia, he was a police officer at the Norfolk Naval Base. So he was retired military and then continued to work as a civilian officer. And my mother was a nurse uh, for the uh, Portsmouth Naval Hospital which closed eventually, but they would work opposite shifts. I'm an only child, so that somebody would be home with me. So um, I was on my own musically, um, and I discovered, you know, with all those other in- influences, I mean, I think I was an early 80s, you know, MTV adopter. You know, Back I when think MTV I was, probably, was good. I was probably <laughs> watching well, when, you know, you know, video... Uh, video killed the radio star was actually broadcast. I probably saw the original broadcast. Uh, Anne-Marie, what about you? What was the musical background of your childhood in Northern Ireland? Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up in a small rural Irish-speaking um, fishing village. <laughs> so it was a long time before, you know, I, and I was the eldest um, child as well. So really I just heard what my mum and dad were listening to. Um, certainly in the community there was a lot of immigrant songs and um, a lot of um, fishermen songs. Um, so there was that kind of uh, tradition of old songs handed down, um, you know, not recorded in an unrecorded way. Um, but there's a huge fascination in Northwest Ireland with American country, like huge. So, 
you know, Johnny Cash and June Carter, um, Willie Nelson, um, Patsy Klein. Patsy Klein's probably the first, you know, crazy. Oh my gosh, that was the first, you know, record that I remember. And I remember my parents dancing um, to, to Patsy Klein on you know, the living room. So those kind of heartbreak songs. Um, I grew up in a small, working class, rural, kind of depressed little village. You know, it, it had seen hard times. So it was very connected into these heartbreak songs. Do people from the American South come to Ireland and everybody just goes, oh, I love listening to you? <laughs> I think probably that... Because that's what happens the other way, obviously. I think you probably come to Ireland and you hear our horrible versions of country music. <laughs> I was just looking up the yes, restaurant Major, chime in. that I just heard country music at the Market House restaurant. It was live music and the guy was playing all country. And I couldn't believe yeah. But he was good, though. We have our own brand of country, like our Irish... American country in Donegal and so you know these are people who have probably never been to America but they kind of recorded their own versions and it can it can be really bad at times <laughs> it can be really I'll just say that what is the earliest musical memory you can recall um, it's probably it's probably Patsy Cline it's probably um, vinyl on the record player and that kind of you know that lovely moment when you're a child and, I mean, all families have discord, you know, but I have that memory of watching my parents in a kind of, in a kind of, a, you know, a dance in the living room in their own little worlds. And I had young parents. They were in their 20s and that was a happy time. Do you ever play any musical instruments? We are forced in Ireland to pay, play the, the tin whistle. And it's a brutal instrument that should be banished. <laughs> you know, and when we have this awful style of dancing, you know, I, I should be saying nice things about it, but we dance from the knees down, you know, so there's no movement kind of, you know, from the, from the hips up. So, I mean, I, it's, anyway, it is what it is. But uh, I learned the tin whistle. Um, you still play it today? I can still play it. You know, it can be played beautifully, like any instrument, if you really practice and you carry on into adulthood and you put in the huge amount of hours, then you can make a beautiful sound out of it. But, you know, I I had five songs that I knew, and that was the extent of it. January, what about you? Uh, I played the piano early on, and uh, I had a great teacher, and he passed away. And I did not have a piano at home. I, I had an organ eventually. I had a little Casio, and, you know, I can play a few songs. Um, but that is what I started out. And I haven't played since, but as an adult, we came across uh, a piano that somebody couldn't move, so we ended up moving it into our house, and we've had it a few year, years. Now my daughter fools around with it. I have not gotten back there. It's on my life list really to pick up the piano again. And do you think your daughter has a, a future in music? Or? You know, she's got a future in whatever she wants to do. I tell you, she is, I wish she were here, but she loves music. She plays guitar. She's always played an instrument. She wants to cook. She is the creative one in the family besides hmm. me. I, I don't know. My son uh, is the basketball genius. So. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, Major, what about you and uh, musical instruments? No instruments, but um, I did. we always had a piano in the house. My grandmother played, and um, my children played piano, trumpet, sax, um, and drums. But I sang as a kid in, in the high school choir and quit after I did not make the, um, the barbecue barbershop quartet I did I, I gave was it that up. was that a hard day that was a very difficult day um, and and if you want to count early aspirations as an MC 
then yes. I was going to follow up with that. <laughs> Do you ever sing with your kids while they play? You guys ever no, play? but my grandmother played, particularly during the holidays. We were one of those families that gathered around the piano and uh, belted out tunes. All right. Well, you know, it is time for your first song story, uh, Major. Would you okay. prefer to... Uh, here's how it works if, in case... Uh, by the way, has anybody heard the podcast? Like maybe two or three of you, a couple people? <laughs> maybe two, including the woman who wrote the article about us? That's cool. You'll listen to it after this. Um, Got a fan uh, in the back. So here's how it works. So we set up the song for the guest. It's usually just one guest. And they either get to tell the story first, which puts the listener in that place when they hear the story... Or they listen to the song first, and that puts them in the place that the song puts them. So it's kind of a, you know, you have to choose how you want to approach this mm-hmm. memory. So now that being said, which would you prefer? I'd rather give context. Okay, go for it. So um, the song that I chose, do I tell them? Yeah. Okay. If the you want. The song that I chose <laughs> is uh, How Many Mics, and it's by the Fugees. And I... Um, as you know, was early fan of hip hop music, and they, and actually, when these guys asked, I gave them three or four other songs. Yeah, I've got them right here. What are they? they I think they were. <laughs> there were three other songs, Marvin none of which Gay. were this one. It was uh, it was Stevie Wonder, Wonder Saturn. It was um, Ain't Got No by Nina Simone and Rebirth of Slick by Diggable Planets. Right. And my son and I are watching a a show on uh, Netflix called Hip Hop Evolution, and I've always felt it was important to teach my students the rich legacy of African-American music. And so we have Jazz 101, we have Hip Hop 101. So the show does a lot of the work, and, and I wrote them after watching the show and said, hey, I want to do the Fugees, How Many Mics? And as a, as a poet, this was one of the kind of earliest songs that set a bar for me um, there were others before this one, but set a bar for me as a as a writer. Um, I also remembered watching the show that there's a line in the lyrics that says, um, uh, "Problem with no man before black first I'm human, appetite to write like Frederick Douglass and his slave hand." And it was that that line, "Appetite to write." like Frederick Douglass and his slave hand that reminded me that writing should have a purpose. And for me, literacy, and my grandmother used to talk about this, um, literacy was really, really important in my family and and in families of many African Americans. When the news was reporting that African American, particularly boys, saw getting an education as acting white, I thought that was absurd and I thought it was not true. It's it's there in the music. It's there in the um, is it's there in the um, slave narratives. Um, literacy, getting an education, was a way of keeping your eyes on the prize. But that particular line reminded me of just the whole kind of education up to that particular point. Uh, in 1996, I was about to go off to graduate school at University of Oregon to um, get my um, Masters of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. And I played that song, or that album, the score from the Fugees, from Philadelphia through the heartland, 
into Death Valley and up to California. What, what kind of car were you driving? I we like to paint a radio a picture beat here. Beat up blue VW Jetta um, that broke down in almost in Death Valley, not quite in Death Valley. Broke down in Las Vegas. Death Valley, as you know, gets to 120 degrees. Um, but I, I, when I got to University of Oregon, I wrote down that line because I heard it many times before, and that was on my writing desk, appetite to write like Frederick Douglass and his slave hand. The other reason why I, I chose this particular song is because it's highly elusive. There's references to Go Ask Alice. I'm not sure if many of you know that book from the 70s. There's reference to Stevie Wonder's album, Inner Visions. There's reference to Tommy Mottola. Um, and, and for me, illusions and works of art are really important because they allow to create a bridge between the reader, or in this case, the listener, and uh, the writer. And they're witty. This is a group that is like super, super witty with a female MC. And it's Lauren Hill's kind of debut into, um, well, it's not, that would have been the second album. Um, I don't remember the name of the first album, but the score was allowed Blunted on Reality. Say it again? Blunted on Reality. Blunted on Reality, that's right, which also has another wonderful um, uh, literary song on there called Vocab. Um, And so I wrote my, the, the two years I was in graduate school, I wrote my poems listening to this album and other albums um, that I won't mention because I want you to stick with the Fugees in this particular song. But um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very clever, I, I aim for cleverness in my poems. I aim for um, uh, wit. And I also feel like my work should carry the long tradition of African-American music that honors this, the journey and history and struggle. All right. Well, let's hear it. This is uh, How Many Mics by the Fugees from their 1996 album, The Score. Let's imagine you in near-death valley with your... Uh, your <laughs> Go ahead. When was the last time you listened to that, uh, you know, with intention? Ooh. Um... With intention, never. <laughs> wow, see what this show does? <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that because it also reminded me to say that that voice that you hear that just kind of interweave through each song is um, the mayor of New York, whose name is Roz Baraka, who is the son of the poet Amiri Baraka. Uh, you mentioned that you, you like kind of the allusions there um, and it's definitely like it's lyrically dense, mm-hmm. but they're also they don't seem particularly afraid of really laying into the rhythm and throwing more words than there are beats to. Mm-hmm. Does that did that affect listening to that so much? And the Fugees do that in a bunch of their albums. Do you think that affected the way that you write as far the as density cadence? Oh, for sure, yeah. for sure. I mean, one of the things that both. Um, yeah, I talk about gospel music, but I feel like the music of hip-hop, as well as the tradition of it, really trained my ear to create a cadence poem. The, the cleverness of hip-hop is what 
allows me to kind of, you know, do what modernist poets have been doing um, since um, since T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland, which is to create all these wonderful um, uh, illusions and collage them together. Eliot, in, in the poem The Wasteland, says, these fragments I've shored against my ruin. And so it's a way of kind of pulling, and, and early critics kind of picked this up in my work, that I'm, I'm comfortable with drawing from history, biblical allusions, sorry. How ironic. It's live. It is live. Just put it on the show. Um, uh, yeah, so, so I think it's important that, that in writing a poem, at least, I'm not sure about short stories, but in writing a poem, at least, that you want to create a full image of who you are. So for me, I'm fine with going to literature, to philosophy, to music of all kinds, um, and having that kind of be stretched through into the poem, and I, I appreciate that density and that kind of wholeness. Yeah. Uh, where does music fit in your life today on a daily basis? I mean, how do you listen to it? I um, I have a record player. I collect uh, vinyl, and um, I you carry I, it around with you. When you're... <laughs> no, but it's important for my. Again, I feel like it's important for my children to kind of experience my youth. I know every parent feels that way, you know. Um, but with my son, who had a friend come over uh, one Saturday on a on a play date, and I normally on Saturdays and Sundays I'll only play vinyl versus playing through the Bluetooth uh, speaker. His friend came over, and, and I put on uh, Lee Morgan's Sidewinder. I just bought this jazz album. He said, wow, my dad taught me about those, the big black CDs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, January, what about you? Uh, where does music fit into your life these days? And uh, sort of on what, what medium or mediums do you listen to it? I probably should have a turntable. I miss them. I think mm. about them. I was a DJ at one point in college, so I love vinyl. Uh, but it is in my life all the time. Um, I, you know, on iTunes now, just because it's concise and easy, and uh, it's right at your fingertips. Uh, but my kids also have picked up the musical bug, and they're always listening. Um, you know, I, I've got my playlist from the 80s and 90s, and yes, I put in some modern songs too. My son is a huge Migos fan. Got to meet them in Atlanta because they're everywhere, and they walk around Atlanta, and you can run into them. Um, and so he is constantly listening to mumble rap, and he had to explain that to me. And the da 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 da. So he's you know so he's doing that. And my daughter is sort of a throwback. She is. Uh, uh, we are enamored with Hamilton and that ah, soundtrack, and yeah. we play it all the time. And she was, you know, she was playing it a year before. You know, it was even a possibility to go and see it, but we actually did see it in D.C. this oh, year. Oh, wow. So I actually was playing the soundtrack so much, I had to stop myself. I said, this is it. This is ridiculous. My son complained. So we're, ta- we're on a Hamilton break. So. <laughs> you know, a couple years ago when it, when it was really blowing up, my daughter, who's 13 now, her and all her friends knew all the words, yeah. and that's all they did. And at the time, I worked at an art center similar to this in town. 
and uh, we do summer camp, and there's a summer camp week that we themed after <laughs> Hamilton so they could all sing the Hamilton songs. Yeah. And normally each summer camp week starts with, okay, 120 kids, these are all the songs that you're going to have to learn this week. Mm-hmm. That week they didn't have to learn anything because yeah. they all yeah, already knew right. all the songs. Yeah. It was so amazing. You know, and Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, grew up in the tradition of poets and hip-hop, so there's, you, you can hear all of that musicality mm-hmm. and, and the lyricism, you know, yeah. clearly. You know, he's a genius, so. Yeah, yeah. But it's all there. Anne-Marie, what about you? Where does music fit into your contemporary life? It fits into my headphones. And I um, almost always play music on my headphones because I mostly listen to music when I'm writing and I listen in kind of an obsessive stop-start way. So I might listen to the same line and I might pause, I might rewind several times. And... If there's anybody else in the vicinity li- listening to that, it would drive them insane. So I, I have a funny relationship with listening to music when I write. But I like listening to instrumental. Like, I love the um, like taking a soundtrack to a film. I'm totally obsessed with the Johnny Greenwood um, soundtrack to There Will Be Blood and just listening to that. And that I use that for one writing project. So I have different soundtracks for different writing projects. So I could listen to the same song, you know, maybe like 200 times whilst I'm writing. Like <laughs> so on, on repeat? On repeat, yeah. Some, uh, <laughs> some, writers, some writers have trouble writing if the words have lyrics, at least in a language that they know. Do, yeah. you, do you struggle with that? or does Definitely. It... Lyrics um, are not helpful when I'm yeah. trying to write. So I'd listen to Philip Glass, Johnny Greenwood, um, or those kind of soundtracks that are instrumental. Uh, we had uh, the episode that came out this morning is a, a, an artist named... Um, uh, Jen Ray. Actually, it was last week's. Oh, uh, Neil Bender. Bender. Uh, he, I thought it was so clever. He listens to the same song over and over while he's working at uh, doing his visual art because it helps him lose track of time. If you put an album on, it marks time. If you put, and I thought, oh, that's pretty clever, actually. Um, what about you? Uh, do you listen to uh, music while you're writing, January? I do, and in fact, I think I'm the opposite. Uh, I have to have lyrics, but I'm used to tuning it out. Um, Years ago, when I uh, was studying at NYU, I I was um, I took classes uh, with uh, the poet Galway Cannell, who's since passed. Um, but he told us to sort of get used to writing anywhere with anything, so so that writing doesn't necessarily become this precious thing. Uh, you can do it anywhere. You're not waiting for the right moment. You're not waiting for inspiration. So I can write in almost all sorts of you know, atmospheres in a way. So I can go in a busy coffee shop and write. Uh, and even if there's music playing, I will put on my headset and put on a different type of music, probably with words. Um, and something happy if, you know, I'm, I'm leaning a certain way or something a little more uh, thoughtful if, uh, you know, I, I want to write something serious. But I can, January, I can, is, there, is there anything that if you don't have music you don't do it? Like, you've you got to stop and get your phone out or something? I, I will stop and find music to write to. I mean, it's only rarely that I write without something. Major? Same question. Like, do you, is there anything? It doesn't have to be even work, just, you know. Yeah, no, I definitely am the on the uh, scale of n- no lyrics for sure, but definitely mm-hmm. music is, is playing just about always, actually. Um, one, one, one book, uh, Holding Company, uh, there was a ritual when I was writing this book, which was to play a song by um, 
Amal Jamal, an album called um, uh, Live from Montreal, and it's the opening song. And it's such an intense song that I would kind of turn it up and could feel my heart racing fast um, and the blood kind of coursing. Every morning I would listen to that song just to kind of get into this uh, very intense space. Um, but for the most part, and that, and once that book was done, that was the end of that of that ritual. Cool. <laughs> I probably owe him um, royalty to run that. Um, all right, January, it's your turn. So I think I will uh, have the song played after. Okay. So as I mentioned uh, before, I was a DJ at WODU. I did my undergraduate work at uh, Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. And we always said, you know, it it was the on-campus radio station. You could pretty much do whatever you wanted. Um, If you plugged in a light bulb somewhere, the whole station might go out. It was that small. And I DJed Friday nights, and we had, um, I did it with my friends, so it was cool. It was like... We weren't trying to please anyone but, but ourselves. So we'd link our shows together. Sometimes we do overnight shows because why not? Um, and so I was DJing probably, you know, I like to think that like U2 back then was alternative. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, so it was a while yeah. ago. Um, and we were, what can I, we were good kids. We were, you know, in Norfolk, Virginia, it's a Navy town. So military were constantly coming in from tours of duty. They come in from shore leave. It's a very diverse place to grow up. And so my friends were, you know, diverse from all backgrounds. And we were an inclusive group. And really all we want, we were good kids. We wanted to work. And we did. You know, we worked at a movie theater. We worked at a cookie shop um, in the mall. Uh, we, we, you know, got decent grades when we weren't skipping to uh, play pool. I'm a pretty good pool player because of that. Um, and so, I, you know, I really could have pulled out almost any song uh, from that period. Uh, and this is like, you know, late 80s. Um, one thing we always enjoyed doing was dancing. But it, it was tricky to be at that age of 20, 21, and, not, you know, all the good places with all the good DJs. You know, you needed to be 21 to get in. There's this one tacky little bar that we that was actually a lot of fun called Ferraris in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And we would go and we'd get as dressed up as you could as, you know, 20, 21-year-olds and go out. Just We didn't want to drink. We just wanted to get our little wristband and go out. And the song that would always play is, uh, you know, It Takes Two by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. And so I, you know, I really could have picked any song. Uh, but I, you know, that song is so joyful, you know. And it also, I, you know, I just love the call and response nature of it, which does harken back to the African-American tradition, you know. Um, you know, I, for me, I love music so much, and I love dancing. You know, I always thought I would go into college and be a business major. Um, and then I took an 8 a.m. econ class and thought otherwise. <laughs> you know, and then, so that, because I wanted a place to dance. I, I thought, you know, I'm going to, cre- I really did think I would create some sort of a nightclub that had levels and we figure out who could get in. Because I don't like the idea of some people get in and some people don't. I want everybody to have fun, right? So um, the econ class did not work out, but I did find my way to a creative writing class and I studied with Toy Derricotte 
who uh, is co-founder of Cave Canem. It's a group Major and I are both affiliated with. Um, and uh, that's where I fell in love with, um, with, with poetry. Um, so it really is kind of a loose connection a very loose connection to Rob Bays. I mean, I you know, I I, I love you know, I, I I love early hip hop, and that's not even really early. That's like mid mid period hip hop. You know, the music got faster and more complex. You know, so you, you can almost draw a, a strange little line from you know, Rapper's Delight to um, Rob Bays to um, the Fugees and to um, Migos. Right, uh, and and like major, I want my children to understand what that lineage is. So it's a little, it's it's tricky trying to say, you know, that's great, you know, what you're listening to. But here, listen to what I listen to. So we play that song every once in a while around the house, and you know, just have our own little dance party. But I I, I do, I lo- I could probably recite all the lyrics. Well, let's find out. All right. <laughs> Yes, you want, absolutely. So that that song has been sampled by um, by Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff. Yep. Um, with Little Romeo. Um, I think I think I saw Carly Rae Jepsen last year. Right. right, they did a version. Um, like there's a K-pop band that used the really? the woo, yeah, hmm. like loop. You know, so there's something about lineage there. Um, do you? Do you see that in a lot of in a lot of your musical tastes, maybe from your from your childhood and 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 in your kids, like the kind of the pattern repeating things that you recognize as that we had that. Right. Is there anything? In- um. Yeah. I'm, I I do, but now like I'm trying to think of what I do. But yeah, I mean, it's fun to watch. Uh, again, going back to my kids, it's fun to hear what they are listening to to see what they're interested in you know I feel like we gravitate uh, to the songs the lyrics the books the poems that resonate with us at a certain period in our lives and so I think we all kind of like the music that we grew up with like that may harken back to like the happier times in our life so that's really kind of you know any sort of pattern you know that I see it's that it's that you know we're always going back to those things that really make us you know uh, that give us joy or comfort you know that remind us of a particular place I just wanted to mention that you you're also creating the those song memories with with your kids yeah. because you're throwing dance parties with that right. song right? Uh, yes so. Dance parties in the kitchen when I can get them to cook with right. me. <laughs> Doesn't always happen. Yeah, I was taken back to like Fort Myers High School in 1988, and I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of that song, but I knew all the words still today. Well, <laughs> you know, in the audience, at least half of the audience knew that song. If they didn't know it from the 80s, and at some point they've heard it. I think I even heard it recently, like in the in the trailer for like uh, oh, it was an Deadpool Man. 2 or something. It was right? an Ant Man. Ant Man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So. Um, okay, we're gonna uh, uh, we're gonna move on to some more general questions. What is the most memorable uh, live performance or experience you've been a part of as a you know audience member? Well, I oh for me yeah. <laughs> um, I am a huge. I don't even know why I didn't pick him, but I'm a huge Sting fan and Sting I, Sting. Right on. Yeah, and I I have seen you know. <laughs> 
Dream of the Blue Turtles tours, and so I just listened I to been, that the other day, but in my yard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I played recently. Went back to you know some of Sting's earlier work, and you know was listening to it while I was writing. So I remember being in the you know second row, third row. I remember like catching a towel. <laughs> but you know, Sting's one of those artists who would play and play and play. And in the '80s, he was working with, he was collaborating with um, all sorts of artists. You know. Branford Marcellus, you know, he put together his jazz groupings, and I, you know, I, I loved, I loved that period. I did. Have you ever traveled a long way uh, just to see live music? Um, I've seen Paul McCartney play in North Carolina. That's not super far from me. Yeah, it was leaving town. Yeah, it is leaving town, <laughs> and that was amazing. And I think at the time, I think he was probably sixty-four. You know, so to hear him sing when I'm 64, when he's about that age, felt weird. <laughs> I can't imagine now, you know. Uh, Major, what about you? Uh, any pinnacle live music experiences? Jeez. Uh, My first concert was Run DMC. Mm. That's a pretty good start. Uh, yeah. At University of Pennsylvania. Um, but... Anytime, George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic is like my Grateful Dead. So if they're playing within the, like a 200 mile radius, I might drive to <laughs> did go you, did see Did you ever them. go back to? Did you ever go from one show to another show with them? Like I've never them? done. I've never done that. But I, yeah, that's what Deadheads do, right? Yeah, <laughs> <P-funk> exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, God, Erica Baidu at mm. S, at um, Jazz Fest one year was. Mm. Um, amazing um, just so many performances because actually because I don't go out when I do go out and see live music it really is an impactful uh, experience what about you Anne-Marie? Hmm. Uh, live music I feel like my schedule doesn't allow for enough of it but I had the pleasure of going to the Irish Folk Awards which took the inaugural Irish Folk Awards which took place in Dublin um, a few weeks ago, and I think you can listen to the podcast online. And that was just a lineup of all the best and most exciting Irish folk artists in the country. And I felt very honoured to be in the audience um, that night because one of the singing groups had taken a poem that I had written and they had put it to music. Wow. And so it was the very first time that I was sitting in the audience and I had nothing to do except be there with my beer, hanging out and having fun and letting somebody else kind of breathe life into a text that I'd written. And I, was, I just thought to myself, I want more of this. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> um, it was really magical, a really magical moment. I'm sure if there's anyone here writing for theatre, you kind of experience this all the time. But that was the first time that I'd handed over text and seen it live, live performed. Who, who was the band or the group? Their name is Landless. They're a four-part harmony group, and they're one of the most exciting Irish folk groups um, in Ireland at the moment. They're well worth checking out. And can we find them singing that on, like, YouTube or something? Like, is that moment out there somewhere for us to it find? It is. Because we will link it to our website during the Yeah, actual. it's online. It's online. We were asked to collaborate on a song that would mark, um, would honor the lives of women in Ireland. So 2018 has been an extraordinary year for women in Ireland. We've um, changed some of our legislation, and women now have full bodily autonomy. And so this song was kind of celebrating that moment in history. So I decided that I would go back to our pre-Christian landscape. And I, 
uh, reconnected with one of our oldest goddesses, pagan goddesses, um, Bridget. And she has different incarnations in, in Scotland, Wales, different parts of the world. But I reconnected with Bridget and kind of inhabited her voice. And what a voice of strength and power. So... That must have been a really special moment for you because I know how lineage and history and everything fits into your thing and and you're there and the whole country's watching and ah. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty special. I feel like I've set the bar very high for myself now in terms of writing for stage. I don't think anything can ever meet that again. What about um, singing? I I heard you sing at the beginning of your reading, so clearly you do some singing. Where does that fit into your... No, you don't. I don't don't do singing, though. Only for a cause. (laughs) No, and I'm not a nervous reader of my work, but what makes me nervous is having to sing those three lines of text because um, I, I'm not a singer, actually, but there's a very close relationship in Ireland between um, poetry and song, and they've always been kind of intertwined. So for, for that particular poem, I knew it made sense to sing those lines, and I tried to kind of reason with myself different you know, ways of getting out of doing that, but um, I sang them nervously with a shaking voice, so apologies. You, you, did, you sound like you've done it a hundred times to no. me, so you know, take that home. Um, uh, what is, so I guess karaoke, probably not a thing in your world? I would be the last person to do karaoke. I really would. What about at home? Is there, are there songs that... Do you sing like when nobody's around, basically? No, but I, I mean, I suppose I have my go-to, I have my go-to tunes, you know, if I'm having a bad day, if I've got a rejection in or I've um, not been accepted for something, you know, I always go to Beyonce's Lemonade because I just, (laughs) I remember, you know, she should have got album of the year and I remember the first time I heard, I don't kind of, I'm into Irish folk songs and I don't really, you know, keep up with um, kind of pop music or I don't know if it's fair to reduce Beyonce to pop music, but the first time I heard that album, I thought it's historical, it's political, it's important, it's of its time, it's beautiful, it's personal. It absolutely blew my mind. So now when I'm having a bad day, I just think Beyonce didn't get album of the year and she got on with it. So <laughs> I think I could go out on a limb and say that album has come up as uh, on this show now. We've done this maybe 40 recordings and it has probably been mentioned about by maybe five it's or six guests for one reason or another. What about you, January? Are you a singer? Um, I sing her to myself. Yeah, uh, I, yes. Uh, I, when I was younger, I, actually, I was in the choir too, growing up. But uh, that was uh, that was yeah, Catholic Church. Um, so yeah, I do. I sing around the house all the time. Sing with your kids. When they let me. When they let you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, really, in the Hamilton soundtrack, or trying actually trying to keep up with. Uh, the rap music my son listens to, that's challenging. Uh, but I try. I, uh, I love it. You know, the interesting thing that I've discovered is, is I've always been a nervous singer in front of other people, but I do play an instrument and sing, mm-hmm. but I just do it right. by myself. But right. now my daughter's come along, mm-hmm. right. and there's no nerves. I can just do it. It's like, that's like the magic of no parenthood. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. There's something right there in the magic of yeah. it. What about karaoke? I, yeah, I'll do it. What's your go-to song? Um, probably a Madonna song or a Janet Jackson song. You know? Which one? I, I don't know. Crazy <laughs> for you sounds kind of hokey, but um, you know, if I can find "If" by Janet Jackson on a or "That's the Way Love Goes," you know, those slow jams. <laughs> what about you? Uh, what about you, Major? Karaoke? Uh, sure. Um, I do karaoke uh, mainly Frank Sinatra's. Oh, I love. 
love it. When was the last time you it, you did it? I'm not doing it right now. No, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it with you. Come on, let's hear it. Um, but singing wise, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, I around the house, I do not sing unless I want to. S- Sing instructions to my son Mm-mm. to like do something. Time to go to bed. <laughs> you know, something. You know, it's a, a way of easing the blow. You know? <laughs> um, my grandfather used to sing around the house, and that was uh, an immense pleasure. He he was a construction worker, and he worked for Princess Grace Kelly's father, Jack Kelly, in construction. He was a bricklayer, but often he would either stop at a bar or a speakeasy. So that by the time he came home, he was a little light and lush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he would, he would sing, uh, God, he sang so many fun songs when he came home. Yeah. You ever uh, consider putting together a barbershop quartet? Ooh. It's not too late. Yeah. Too soon? There's wounds and scars in that closet. <laughs> not healed yet. Mr. Saturday Dance. That's the song that he used to sing. Heard they crowded the floor Awfully different without you Don't get around much anymore (laughs) Darling, I guess My mind's more at ease But nevertheless Why stir up memories Been invited on dates Might have gone, but what for? Awfully different without you. Don't get around much anymore. If you recall, the live opener said that this podcast does such a good job of using music and memories to get people to reveal themselves that they've invited us here, and you just saw it happen. He started with, I'll never sing. Okay, uh, Anne-Marie, it is time for your um, song story. So I'll tell you a little bit about my song selection. I had a big battle in my head about whether to pick just about anything by Sinead O'Connor or to go for something else. And actually, I decided to go for this other song because it comes in the chronology of things, it comes before Sinead O'Connor. Um, this song has been covered widely. It's an iconic Irish song. It's been covered by um, Justin Timberlake and Mumford and Sons. Um, but the best version is the original version by the Dubliners. It's the Owl Triangle. And it's a song that um, I heard all during my childhood. And it's a song that people, when they've had a drink too much at the end of the night, sing. You know, it's, it's everybody's party piece. Oh. But it was written by Brendan Behan. It's a prison song. Oh. And it's a song of longing. And um, it's a lonesome tune. And it speaks of great loss and great love and of romance. And there's a great graw, which is the Irish word for love in Ireland, of the underdog, you know, and there's a great kind of affiliation with that person who's going through a hard time. And so this song has been very popular. And I think I reconnected with the Owl Triangle in just such a rich way when I began going into prisons as a writer and working with creative writing students in prisons. And that brought... The, the song that brought me to the song in a completely different way actually I'd come out of 
the prisons where I was working with people on life sentence and after a week I'd kind of sit at my kitchen table and I'd have a cup of tea and I'd listen to the song and I'd just have a cry and just remember all of the people that I'd left behind and you meet all kinds of people in prison, people going through very hard times, going through mental health illness, um, family separation, addiction, um, coming from cycles of poverty or abuse and separated from their children and I at my own book launch, I asked that the musicians would play this song in honour of everything that those students in the prison have taught me about language and the power of storytelling and truthfulness and human connection and survival. For a song that has so much history both in, in itself and in you, how does it feel listening to that now with us? It, it never fails to move me. I always feel, even after, I, I've heard it th- a thousand times in my lifetime, but um, it still grounds me and stills me and connects me to this human voice that is thinking of his gal Sal and being separated and... Um, I feel quite emotional listening to it every time, actually. Yeah. So you mentioned um, it's been covered a lot. Um, I, you know, the Mumford and Sons version is still in that in that folksy sound, mm-hmm. but you know, the Dropkick Murphys covered the song as well, and obviously that takes it in a in, from a sound perspective completely different place. How how does the kind of like the genre of the of a cover for you change the way that you relate to that? I mean, is that as an emotional hit if you listen to? I think it must be for it must be for any artist to have your work covered it must be a joyful thing, and um, you know the idea that this. Irish song from an Irish prison has been taken all over the world and people relate and connect to it I, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing I'm sure the, the Dubliners enjoy it as well but for me I, you just can't beat that kind of um, that acoustic unaccompanied voice and, and particularly the male voice the male Irish voice as well mm-hmm. um, you know there's something about the quality of the sound he makes that is so distinctly Irish that you know goes right down into my bones that I I, I can connect with coming out of a rural working class background. I understand it, you know. So when I hear it sung by other people, I think it's lovely that this part of Ireland is being, um, is being celebrated and uh, promoted, but um, not even promoted is not the right word, but um, that this part of Irish history is included in, in, on the world stage. But I, you just can't beat the Dubliners singing um, the Owl Triangle. You know, it's it's unbeatable. It's yeah. uh, you know, and that's the general consensus. Do you have a favorite band or musician besides Sinead O'Connor? Oh, you're going to ask me not to name Sinead O'Connor? That's really difficult. Was your second um, favorite? You set yourself up for so that. We're talking about third favorites, or so Dubliners, Sinead O'Connor, and now I have to, to pick a third. Okay, well, let me like step outside the Irish tradition and just say Johnny Cash. Yeah. Hey. Johnny yeah. Cash and June Carter, what a team. You know, Jackson, what a great tune. I was just listening to it recently again. Do you have any albums that you must listen to in their entirety if you've started them because they're so complete and perfect? Oh, wow. Well, you know, 
I go back to the, the Folsom prison recordings that Johnny Cash made, you know. Um, so, like, in a way, it's like a, a hop and a skip from the Dubliners singing um, the, that song out of Mount Joy Prison and Johnny Cash and the Folsom recordings. So, um, I, you know, I'd listen to that. I'd be moved every time. Uh, January, what about you? You got a favorite oh, yeah. band on that list? Uh, let's see, favorite artist. Well, you know, thinking of the Fugees, I love Lauren Hill, so I'll listen to her album start to finish. Um, I'm a big U2 fan, but as far as uh, you know, albums that I would play through, the Beatles, um, I, I love... I was hoping they'd come up. They come well, up almost know, every yeah, show. I mean, I love... I mean, Sergeant Pepper, I'm just... And uh, Abbey Road, I love how their songs link together, and I've always aspired to do that somehow in my writing. You know, how they you know transition from uh, what is it, me, Mr. Mustard, and the Sun King, and... Um, uh, came in through the bathroom window. How that that you know there are three or four, maybe even five songs linked together in that. And I like, how can I do that as a writer? Mm. How can I do that as a writer? Mm. What about you, Major? Oh, one of the favorites. Or if you, I mean, okay, some people have a favorite band, and some people right. just have some favorites. Right. Do you have a favorite? You can say no. It's yeah, totally I I do. I mean, Talking Heads was important. Right on. Uh, growing up, um, and. Still today, um, I'll, I'll throw on an album. But uh, gosh, you know, I was just thinking about um, the Cranberries as mm. an early U2, but yeah. the fact that Dolores O'Rourke yeah. yeah, uh, died uh, almost a year ago. Yeah, right? she, I mean, she was very much part of my Your soundtrack child. growing yeah. up as yeah. well. Yeah, here, here. Yeah. Um, so there was a moment in which it was, you know, I, I had my foundations, um, and Talking Heads was. Mm. When a Remain in Light was a particular album for me. Mm-hmm. Any other like perfect albums from anybody that you just like to go back to? John Coltrane's mm. I Love Supreme. Yeah. Definitely. Sorry. Uh, no, that's Sorry okay. to be so typical. Do you have any... Uh, <laughs> Michael Jackson. Early Michael Jackson. Early. Uh, yeah. Off the wall. Off the wall. Off the wall. Off the wall. Yeah. Do you have any, uh, any off the beaten path uh, artists or bands that you want to give a shout out to here? Ones you don't think... Yeah, who they and or the people who listen eventually may not know that you want to kind of give props to well if you're looking for um, the latest in Irish folk music we are yes <laughs> you should check out Landless um, you could, should check out another exciting group called Lancome um, and then we have our old favourites uh, Christy Moore I don't know if there's any favourite Christy Moore here um, famous uh, Historian, really, you know, he's, he's somebody who writes Irish history into song and has written about very difficult subjects, very political subjects, and um, you know, he, he sings them in his own voice, and he's a joy to listen to. He's powerful, Christy Moore. That's my recommendation for you. January, you got anything? You look like maybe you're you're well, not, not going to have anything. Well, now that's you know not commercial. I, I will say that uh, my daughter is a big fan of the Decemberists. Oh, I and love the Decemberists. She them all, all, all the time. Mm-hmm. Right She's on. 13. So I'm like, how did you discover this? Uh, I, you know, going back a little to favorite albums, I was thinking that Peter Gabriel So oh. is one of my favorites. And I, honestly, it's where I learned about Anne Sexton because they have a song about her on that album. So um, I think that's a near perfect album. And that's one I go back to every once in a while. Major, what about you? Any uh, off the beaten path bands you want to? Off the beat. Yeah, like, you know, if a friend asks you, yeah. give me yeah. some music that I haven't heard of before. Gosh, that's really hard. I, I, 
Hmm. Well, man, you got, you got me there. <laughs> Sorry. Sing something. Sing something. Uh, yeah, quick, sing. Uh, okay, okay. Well, we are, we are on to our last question. Then, is there are there any songs that you will always turn off if that you if they come on because they have a negative association or you just can't stand the sound of it? It makes your ears want to scream. <laughs> Can I say a genre? You know, yeah, it's funny. This is one of those questions that tells you about a person. Because nice. Some people don't want to be so, you know, critical. Yeah, yeah. What's the genre? I won't mention. <laughs> I'm one of those people. I have fans. I want to keep. <laughs> January. You know, I uh, a song I listen to a lot. So there's very little I'll turn off. But uh, you know, I have to say I'm not a huge country. Fan, country music fan. Uh, there will be a song here and there that I will love. Um, I got some for you. <laughs> Seriously, okay. I'm gonna convert you. All right. Yeah, <laughs> Ralph Stanley is a good place okay. to start. I like a little Darius Rucker every now yeah. and then. Darius. Yeah. Okay. Anne Marie. I despise the sound of the pan pipes. It's like a phobia that I have. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll definitely every time turn off the pan pipes. I think I was. How often of, does that like happen? Yeah. I, well, I think I was traumatized because my parents had a CD of Phil Coulter, and I think he did like a pan pipes oh. album like in the '90s sometimes, and we listened to that every day for about five years. So no more pan pipes for not, me. Not to offend any pan pipists in the audience, but they all kind of sound like the same song. Like yeah. jazz. Like jazz. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Sorry. That's an inside joke between Mike that's, and myself. Yeah, sorry, Don't. that's an inside joke. I like jazz a lot. He listens to hours of jazz a night. Um, okay, well then on that note, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, yeah. Marie, let's just come down the line, then we have a parting tune and we'll wrap this thing up. Final thoughts on music, life? Uh, the experience, the just the show, just being here, this. Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's been, you know, it's really interesting to reflect on the role that music mm-hmm. plays in your life. And and music has, of course, shaped my writing. Um, there's such a musicality to poetry. Poetry is a form of song. You know, you're using your body to create breath and silence and melody and um, emotion. And so it's closely related to song. So it's... It makes sense that so many poets and writers have a, such an ear for music. January, any final thoughts? Um, I'm a little disappointed there's no dance party, so there's that. Um, you know, but just to echo what Amory was saying about um, you know, poetry and music and the connection, um, and again, to just use my son again, you know, his love for rap, I think he has this innate ability for meter. And um, you know, it's something that that poetry and music share. So I like to think that even though, and he's listening to rhyme and what works and what doesn't. So, you know, I, it's we're not at the point yet where I can say, here, you know, here's a Langston Hughes poem yet. You know, read this. And But I can, you know, play some rap and have a conversation and we'll look at the lyrics and that is mm-hmm. the start of the conversation for us. So Langston can, can wait a year mm-hmm. or two. Gotcha. And uh, Major, you're, uh, yeah, you get the was, last word. Well, this was, this was a great experience. I, I too, um, kind of take for granted how music has kind of impacted me and entered my uh, body and my uh, sensibilities. Um, and my, now I'm going to look at my, my collection and figure out what has, um, what has really kind of gotten into, into my soul. And, uh, and before... The weekend is over. I'm going to convert you to jazz. 
Oh no, I, that, that was tongue in cheek. Explain your joke. Explain your joke. No, no, I don't even know what the joke. Oh no, the joke is just. Okay, here's the deal. We've got time. It's a podcast. So um, we work at the local NPR station. We used to play overnight jazz. I used to always have that on in all the radios in my house because I live in a weird analog way where I have yeah. clock radios everywhere. Yeah. And so I can walk throughout the house and hear jazz. At night, that went away. And suddenly I was like, oh, I've got to have more jazz. Yeah. But me and my daughter always kind of had this joke where it's just like, I was like, I'm just going to record like CDs full of jazz off a jazz station and then just play them on a loop because oh, cool. it's just kind of all the same song in the background at night, 3 o'clock in the morning. Right, you know what I mean? right, so now right. I have CD players in my house right. that are playing random CDs of jazz over and over again. Yeah. So that's the end. I warned Mike, though, that by doing that, what's going to happen? No, they're going to become different songs. He's going to start to recognize <laughs> yeah. songs and then he will love the ones he knows and... But it is a part of my fabric yeah. of my daily yeah. life and yeah. has been for 15 years. So I may not sit down and listen to it and identify with exactly who's doing it, but it is in me. So don't well, you worry. I was thinking about how music, um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Afro-Peruvian uh, music. And I, when I encountered that, it's almost like another part of me opened up. So I'm a huge advocate of people... Um, being open to various kinds of music because I feel like music um, opens us up to cultures and, and other people. And um, right now, I'm, I'm going, I purchased a home in Vermont that's formerly owned by Steve Reich. And I cannot, I gave it a try. I love it, but I can't get my family to like, when I put it on, they all leave the house. <laughs> Just loop, loop, loop. But this has been great. Can we, can we thank Major January and Anne-Marie for being here? Every episode ends with a parting tune. It's uh, if whoever's hosting. If I'm hosting, I get to tell a quick story about a song that was important to me for whatever reason, and then we end the show listening to that song. So for our parting tune today, we're going to go back to the launch of this show. We had the idea. We started brainstorming it. I said to Richard, we need a theme song. What are we going to do? And he said, I know what song we're going to use. I said, what? He said, three is a magic number nice. from Schoolhouse Rock. Nice. And I thought, wow, that's freaking perfect. And so um, I was like, we need to find somebody to make it. And so I have an old friend who I described to Richard as a, a pirate rep scallion. He's a pirate. Yeah, he's a musician, written 100 songs, knows 1,000. I sent him the gist of the show in two sentences, Schoolhouse Rock, three is a magic number. He emailed me back like five minutes later. He says... I'm thinking kazoo, little jaw harp, little ukulele, little guitar, some drums. I was like, that's perfect. So like a week later, he sends us this track. It's perfect. It was one take. And that's what you heard at the beginning of the show. It's his, him and Stick Martin, which, by the way, they both have episodes of this podcast. If you want to meet them, you can. Um, but that's what we're going to hear as our parting tune. But I'm going to hand it off to Richard now to like yeah, so we seal the deal. Yeah, we weren't very far into the show when um, news came down that uh, Bob Doro, the, the guy who wrote that song for Schoolhouse Rock, passed away. And that actually hit us harder than we thought it would because we had now kind of adopted the song and it had become part of the fabric of the show. And we had, you know, we'd had a commissioned version of it created for the purpose of the show and we listened to it all the time. So um, we opened the episode that week with a little explanation about if people hadn't figured out what it was because it's, a, it's slightly different why we picked what we picked. And we played a little bit of the original because being public radio station and the public TV station, um, Schoolhouse Rock and all things like that are kind of special to us. So we're going to end today 
with uh, his version, Bob Dora's version of Three is a Magic Number. Um, I want to thank you guys all for being here. This is super fun. We definitely want to come back again. Um, so keep listening. Yes, it is. It's a magic number. Next time on Three Song Stories. I'm not a karaoke person, <laughs> but when you're there. Were you part of an ensemble like Dr. Martin as his hip or were you, <laughs> were you singing yourself? Uh, I and one of the other ophthalmologists were sort of hiding in the corner hoping they wouldn't notice us. So we did end up to be – Like Islands zone. in the Stream or something? <laughs> uh, well, we tried to do Venus but they didn't have the words. So we ended up doing um, Rocky Mountain High. Yes. Great. Yes. <laughs>